My name is Peter Thomas and I'm director of Forward, the RMIT University Centre for Future Skills and Workforce Transformation. I'd like to welcome you to SkillsCast, our podcast featuring an eclectic set of topics that we're interested in and hopefully you will be too. So join our Forward Development partners, fellows and guests as we look at all things skills related, whether that's skills gaps and how to address them, our view of the emerging skills that define the future of work or some of the technologies that may change the way we think about skills in the future. Welcome to SkillsCast Season 1. My name is Sally McNamara and I'm Development Partner at RMIT Forward. And I'm here today with special guest May Somali. So May is a professionally certified leadership coach, facilitator, business founder, and venture partner. She's also an Australian John Monash Scholar and holds a Master in Public Policy from the Harvard Kennedy School. So May is a really great example of how we are moving to this skills economy rather than a specific set job role economy with the ability to build and apply transferable skills across a variety of roles. And today we're going to be talking about building change resilience capacity to face the upskilling and reskilling imperative that we face and enable the workforce transformation that we know is urgently required and actually not in the future, but right now. So our working theory on this at Forward which is the Centre for Future Skills and Workforce Transformation at RMIT, is that building this capacity in individuals and collectively is likely to have a multiplier effect to support not just skills acquisition, but also broader outcomes in areas like health, wellbeing, diversity, inclusion, innovation, lifelong learning, and more. So, May, welcome to SkillsCast. Thanks Could so you... much, Sally. It's a pleasure to be here. Great. Could you introduce yourself a bit further, May, and tell us why change resilience is an important topic for you? Yeah, absolutely. So a bit of background about me. I was born and raised here in Sydney, where I'm currently based, and I did my undergraduate here in Australia as well before moving over to the US to complete my master's. And I spent the better part of the last seven years actually in Boston and San Francisco before heading back to Australia last year. So I consider myself a little bit of a global citizen based between Australia and the US these days. And change resilience is really important for me at two levels. Um, the first is really at the personal level, Sally. So I'm in my fourth career. <laughs> Over the past 12 years, I've worked in kind of law when I, where I began and then startup finance, education technology and leadership coaching. And as somewhat of a master career pivoter, I personally understand what it's like to invent and constantly reinvent your career and life, I should say multiple times. Um, it's probably not a surprise that growth is one of my core values. So I have really tried to lean into it in how I've designed my life. And change resilience is also important to me professionally as a leadership coach. So I start, currently work with about a dozen individuals and organizations across Australia, New Zealand, the US, the UK, and 
I'm really focused on helping them to identify their purpose and unleash their power and potential. And a big part of this work actually helps um, is help is helping clients adapt to the many changes in their lives and really the uncertainties that we're seeing in the world today. Mostly, I'm finding this is requiring them to grow their social, emotional, and relational intelligence. So change resilience definitely comes up there. Yeah, such a great point, May, that this time of growing complexity and pace, and it feels like actually we've got more choices than ever, uh, but that can also be a curse. Uh, I guess we're saying, seeing this complexity play out in a number of ways, uh, including, I like what you said about you're on your fourth career already and you're still so young, um, but growing life expectancies mean that we are going to be working longer than ever. And at the same time, jobs and skills are not linear or stable anymore, or at least if they are currently, they're not going to be. We know that much. So this idea of constant upskilling and reskilling is now the norm and will continue to be. What do you see is the impact of this context on our ability to adapt to this change when it is going to be ongoing? It's not like we're going to reach a point where there's no more change. Yeah, we, we are definitely living through a time right now where volatility, uncertainty, complexity, ambiguity have become the norm. I think a lot of the statistics and external factors that you referred to, Sally, are top of mind for a lot of the individuals and organizations that I'm interacting with these days. And I mean, some would call it actually not the, the norm, but the new abnormal that we're living through. And interestingly, I'm seeing the impact of this context on individuals in two main ways. So on one hand, we've got individuals that are more exhausted by the idea of change. I think this is not a surprise to us. Um, our nervous systems are tired from being on overdrive. You know, a lot of us are asking, when will this end? There's burnout, hopelessness, maybe mental and emotional fatigue. So that's one, one kind of hand, one side of the story. On the other side, um, of the, the story is really that individuals were more prepared than ever before for change. We have that muscle memory. We've practiced it, whether we want to have, have, or not these last couple of years. Um, and I think there's a growing realization that actually there was never certainty, right? But the allure of certainty. So 2020 really tipped the world upside down. And I think we're seeing more and more this realization that um, change is occurring. And for some individual, change is no longer phasing them in the same way that it used to because it's become somewhat of a constant. Actually takes me to a quote by John Allen Polos that I think summarizes this really well. He says that uncertainty is the only certainty there is and knowing how to live with insecurity is the only security. So we've got a context in which people's nervous systems are on overdrive, but there's also this recognition that we've been through change, we've lived through change, and change is going to continue to occur. And I think what's really interesting about some of the broader technology changes we're seeing, industries evolving, technical know-how constantly changing by the minute, um, what's at a premium is really the things that make us human, our ability to connect, empathize, be vulnerable, build community. 
And so that's come to the fore in that being human right now is the only thing that <laughs> won't change and that we need to really double down on. But ultimately, if we zoom out, we can see that what's happening is that, you know, we've had these few years of stress and anxiety soul searching and for many people they've taken a step back and they're reassessing their lives so more of us i think are questioning the status quo of how we work and the role that work plays in our lives and in some ways this is very much an awakening and an opportunity now i think for organizations they're obviously a collection of individuals coming together and organizations are operating in this context as well of change um, I think the external events we've experienced globally, whether it's the pandemic, racial reckoning that's happening in the US, climate disasters here that we're seeing in Australia, um, the shootings over in the US, the overturning of Roe and Wade most recently in the US, a lot of these changes and volatilities are bringing um, to the fore that our you know, structures and systems are not necessarily serving us and working. And I think organizations are being asked to handle more, um, to step up and to evolve the way that they're, not only their business models work, for example, but that the way that they're creating inclusive work environments, the ways that they are or aren't bringing humans to the forefront of, of the workplace. And we are seeing definitely, you know, across many organizations, more investment in redesigning workplaces of the future. Um, but I think for a small minority, we see some organizations just saying we're going back to normal. Um, that's one way of responding. The, the most obvious way of responding is change through change efforts internally. But what we're also noticing is that a lot of these organizational change efforts are failing us. The change efforts are failing um, because they're not producing really tangible results. And I think the research that actually comes from the leadership circle, they wrote a wonderful white paper in 2021 called The Spirit of Leadership. And it references that the reason that a lot of organizations, although we're in a context of change, have not been able to sustain um, the changes and create structures internally that serve employees and their workers is that a lot of focus has simply been on the level of change related to protocols, workforce policies, organizational design um, procedures, which whilst great is limited, right? We haven't focused as much on the internal aspects of change collectively, the domain of culture, um, the domain of myth, story, unwritten rules and beliefs that actually um, show up in our organization. And it's the focus on that that we need to really double down on. I think also organizations have not really invested yet in making sure that individuals are not only skilling up, but are having a safe environment in which they can unlearn and shed a lot of the beliefs um, about themselves, about their worldview that enables then that more organizational change to be sustained. So we've come a long way in trying to institute changes. There's still a long way to go. Absolutely. And that point around, I think it's almost the paradox, isn't it, of this time that Yes, many of us are change fatigued and at the same time, we have built that muscle memory for change. So I'm really curious, May, how is that muscle memory for change and that building that change resilience skill set been part of your own journey in creating these four different careers? 
Yeah, thanks, Sally. It's uh, certainly played a big part as someone who's been across different careers and worked across different cities. I actually spent 2019 as a digital nomad with no address, experimenting, living in different cities. I've certainly had to lean into change. And in fact, my first tattoo was a visual representation of change. So that's how much um, it's, it's meant to me. I, I want to kind of name though that I still sometimes go into fear mode. I still notice my amygdala's fight, flight, freeze response kick in when something unexpected happens. The difference is I've now learned to notice it. I know what's happening because I, I've had to adapt as I go along. And I think uh, the way that it's been a big part of my own journey is um, first and foremost, I think shedding old identities. So. The idea that I am what I do has had to shed. Um, I think there was a lot of emphasis on, you know, being a lawyer or then being an investor, <clears throat> being Australian, being a boss. And a big part of the upskilling and reskilling that's been enabled is to let go of, you know, the idea that I am what I do and learning that there's more th to me than what I do or what I produce. Um, and that's been really, really important and come, come about sometimes in shocks and waves. I think another kind of perspective um, that I've had and that has come about through a lot of the changes is being able to own my failures. Um, you know, whether it was realizing that I didn't actually want to be a lawyer when I grew up, even when I'd grown up, um, whether it was being fired, which I've been broken up with, coming to peace with these events and turning them into my story. And I think people like Brené Brown, who talks a lot about the importance of vulnerability in leadership and self-compassion, has been very influential for, for me personally. Um, and I think looking back, I realized at the times of biggest change in my life, um, a couple of years, for 2014, for example, 2018, 2021, where almost everything changed, there were the biggest blessings. There's the power of looking back and realizing that shedding the old allows space for growing the new and has given me an opportunity to try new things with a beginner's mindset. So I think every time you jump or pivot, the next jump gets easier. As I said, you build the leg muscle for the jumps. Um, and I think a, a really important part of change resilience in terms of the upskilling is the permission to experiment. So experimentation has become a bit of a mantra of mine, um, not being attached to substance, sorry, uh, not being attached to form, but going for substance and being able to really lean into curiosity, really, really focusing on process and not the destination. I think um, I'm really leaning into the idea of living the questions rather than having the answers. Um, you know, when I was, for example, first starting my formal coaching training, I was um, a CEO in a global organization and I thought that I was doing the coaching in order to become a better manager. But it was through realizing my energy for this work that I then gave myself permission to grow it into a business, for example, um, to unlearn the idea that I had to have all the answers as someone who used to give people answers as a service provider. So there's been a lot of room for exploration and a big part of that has been the unlearning that's required, unlearning old mindsets and worldviews and being able to really lean into new ways of doing things. I mean, so many things in this, May, isn't there, in terms of I've just been jotting down um, 
some sorts of skills that you might be referring to here, like self-knowledge, for instance. So learning how to notice and name that fight-flight response. And it sounds like lean into it. Um, shedding old identities, owning your failures, that feels like it requires a lot of reflection and self-knowledge and curiosity. Uh, I also noted down unlearning um, as a skill, actually, to be able to have that cognitive flexibility to do that. And that uh, beginner's mindset, of course, like in terms of permission to experiment. And just to pick up as well on your living the questions rather than having the answers. I mean, I was um, reading a case study the other day on Microsoft and how their whole cultural transformation, so not just in learning and development, but as a whole organisation has been from going from know-it-alls to learn-it-alls. And it is, you know, easy to say, but as we know, very uncomfortable to do. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I love that idea of learn-it-alls. And I think, Sally, <clears throat> a lot of the time when we're thinking about learning, we are thinking about this abstract knowledge base that we're learning. But the, one of the most powerful objects or subjects of learning is ourselves. And so that self-awareness is really about self-learning. One of my favorite ways to learn about ourselves, and I see this with clients as well, it's a big part of um, change resilience is following our energy, right? Mm. Our energy, what we're drawn to gives us this directional clarity, which during times of stress and hardship and change can be really empowering. I think often we're focused as a society on destinational clarity. Where will I be to what end? What's that position I'm striving for rather than trusting that we're moving in the right direction? And I think this is especially important given our careers now are jungle gyms. They're not ladders. And I, I will kind of say one of the worst pieces of advice I often find out there is when people tell us to just follow our passion. Um, we sometimes don't know what our passion is. Uh, research from the Stanford Design Lab actually shows that 80% of us don't really know what we're passionate about. Um, you know, in reality, we don't find our passion, we develop passion and passions comes after we try something. And often we know to try it because we're drawn to it. Our energy takes us there. We discover we like it. We develop mastery around it. And so part of that has been giving myself permission to follow my energy and live those questions um, in that way. Mm. Yeah. Energy is a huge one, isn't it? I, I mean, that links for me to understanding, I guess it's again, self-knowledge, understanding your strengths, following your curiosity and what you were saying there, which is, you know, it sounds like enjoying the process instead of just what will I achieve or what sort of degree will I end up with, uh, which seems to me to be very important in terms of reskilling, upskilling. If we're having to do that in addition to working, um, you know, mostly many of us mm. full time and with all the other things in our lives, we do need to have an energy and a curiosity to want to do that. So, May, let's, I mean, such a fascinating conversation. We could go on for a long time. Uh, but let's uh, wrap up now with, I guess, what's what's your main advice or just one piece of advice to someone? And I know there are many people and many of us that feel this way who 
as you started out saying, you know, on one hand, feel this change fatigue, and on the other hand, also have built some change muscle through this pandemic period. But there might be just that sense of, oh, I'm just too overwhelmed or burnt out right now to face more change. So what's one thing that that you would start practicing today to help with that? Great question, Sally, and making it practical is where the rubber hits the road. There's many things we can do, but I think the most important piece is building more self-awareness and how we can actualize this. I'll, I'll give kind of a couple of my favorite ways to, to bring this to life. The first is focusing on what you can control. When everything's changing, being clear on what won't change is really, really important. So naming, for example, our values. What is it about how we want to show up that won't change regardless of what's happening around us? And a, a really cool tool that I share with some of my clients is to write a to-be list. How do you want to be? How do you want to show up? What do you want to be remembered for? No matter what you're doing, we all have to-do lists, but how do you want to be? Um, and another list that's really helpful is to write a can control list and a can't control. Often it feels like everything's changing and we have zero control, but when we can differentiate between what we can versus what we can't control, it helps us take the power back and focus our energy on what we can control. And really this is around building also our emotional literacy. So one of the most powerful things that we can do is to remind ourselves that we are not what we do, we are not what we feel. <laughs> I'm stealing this concept from um, Susan David at the Harvard Medical School that you know, her, her work around emotional agility, being clear on knowing how we feel so that our emotions don't um, own us, but that we own them is really, really important. So a daily practice, for example, could be in the mornings to touch base with ourselves, setting an intention for the day, reflecting on how do I feel in this moment, body, mind, and spirit, and being able to connect with how you're feeling in that moment, knowing that it's like the weather, that day to day, it'll change and it'll pass, but ignoring the weather doesn't help us and wishing it wasn't there doesn't also help us, but connecting with it and being able to come from that place. And last but not least, I wanna leave us with this, that we are social beings, we're not alone, and so one of the most beautiful gifts we can give ourselves is to reach out, to lean into community, whether it's picking a partner, a colleague, a coach, a therapist, someone that can hold space for us that we can hold space for. Um, for others, it's maybe joining a mastermind or a group, but really community is everything during this period and change and learning is easier when done collectively, even though we need to start with the internal individual self ultimately we're part of a community. And as Eckhart Tolle says, when you become comfortable with uncertainty, infinite possibilities open up in your life. And that's my hope for us that this time of change and uncertainty is one that we can leverage to realize these infinite possibilities. Oh, thank you so much, May, for all of that wisdom. And I'm definitely going to be writing a to-be list. I, I, really, <laughs> I, I really think you're spot on with that point about focusing on what we can control. It's almost building those inner resources as an anchor point through all the external things that we cannot control. So thank you very much. It's been brilliant to talk to you today. 
Thanks, Sally. Thanks for the opportunity. I hope you enjoyed this episode of RMIT Forward Skillscast. Join us again next time and come and find us on Medium, our home for stories about future skills and workforce transformation. Search RMIT Forward to find us. Thank you.